for a Formula One car. It does everything you wish a car could do. And maybe even then some. <laughs> because I don't even think my mind could get wrapped around that a race car could do that. Hello everyone. Now who's ready for something a little bit different? Because my guest this week is a driver who's never actually raced a Formula One car. But hear me out. He's tested one and he was very quick and he very nearly raced one. The man I'm talking about is four-time NASCAR champion and global motorsport icon, Jeff Gordon. Welcome to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Our listeners from across the pond will be very familiar with Jeff and his racing achievements. But for those people who need a little introduction, let's just say he was the Lewis Hamilton of NASCAR. He won 93 races, took 81 poles and showed unbelievable longevity by starting 797 consecutive races over 23 years. He was quite simply the man in stock cars. He's now retired from driving and has more time to pursue other interests, such as his passion for F1. He's long been a fan of our sport, and he doesn't need a second invitation to talk about Formula One. He's right up to speed with what's going on in 2021. He knows many of the key players, including Lewis Hamilton, Toto Wolff and Fernando Alonso. And he's very happy to relive that famous Williams test alongside Juan Pablo Montoya on the Indianapolis road course back in 2003. Jeff's observations on Formula One are also fascinating. The cars, the people, the format of the race weekends, all of it. And as a co-owner of Hendrick Motorsport, the Mercedes of NASCAR, if you like, he's also got a keen eye on what it takes to win. And what's truly inspiring is his passion for F1 and just how close he really came to make that big leap from NASCAR to F1. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jeff, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Oh my gosh, uh, what a, what a pleasure! When I saw this come across my uh, my, my phone, uh, I was like, absolutely. You, I love F one, and and you know the podcast is great, and so uh, looking forward to being part of it. Thank you. Well, look, I think a lot of people are asking or thinking to themselves, you know, how much of a fan of Formula One is Jeff Gordon? Well, I mean, I'm as much of a fan that I watch every practice, every qualifying session, every race, uh, maybe not live. I might not get up at three in the morning if it's not, uh, uh, you know, a time that, that, that is when I'm going to normally wake up, but I might get up a little bit early. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I've, I mean, I've always been just a, a big open wheel fan. You know, I, I wasn't always and, you know, NASCAR came a little bit later uh, for me from when my early beginnings of racing. So it's always open wheel, mainly dirt and Indy cars, but uh, also Formula One. And then, um, you know, as, as I got older and started paying attention to more and more racing and, you know, Formula One just became something that I was like, OK, I, you know, I, I, I want to watch these events more. And I was always fascinated with qualifying. Uh, but I was typically racing, right? So, so I didn't watch all the races on Sundays. And then I drove the Williams BMW and that whole experience changed my life. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea what these cars, you know, were capable of. And, and from that moment on, I went from being a, a fan to being an avid fan. I, you know, I wanted to watch every, everything that, um, um, you know, went on at the track. And, and of course I wanted to follow Williams and the drivers, you know, like Juan Pablo Montoya that I, I met, he drove my car, I drove his car when we did that swap in Indy. And, and so from that point, on, I just, you know, I just started watching. Now I watch it, you know, I would say religiously every weekend. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I follow very, very much. And, and, you know, I'm in the broadcast world now. Um, I'm in the team ownership world. And, and so anything that I could learn from Formula One, um, if there's something that, you know, that they're doing, you know, and, and again, qualifying, I pay a lot of attention to qualifying and, and the, the knockout rounds, I think is fascinating. And, um, you know, we, we have done some of that in NASCAR, um, you know, from a team ownership standpoint of, of, you know, how the teams are um, operating, whether it's, you know, how, how they're financially um 
bringing in, you know, the marketing side of things? Or, you know, what what are we going to have to look forward to down the road uh, with, with NASCAR uh, as far as, um, you know, engineering, aerodynamics? And, of course, we're never, never going to be anything like Formula One, but there's still a lot that can transfer over, you can learn from. And, 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 and maybe if there's something, you know, even that they can learn from us, you know, I've, I've got to know Toto, um, uh, well, and, and he's been, he's been fantastic to, to talk to, uh, at, at times over, over the years and, um, keep saying, we're going to try to make a trip over and, and see their facility. I'd love to get him to our facility, but, um, yeah, you know, we, we even have at NASCAR, uh, and our at Hendrick Motorsports, we have some, some folks there that used to be in the, in the form of one space, uh, in engineering aerodynamics. Well, Jeff, you've left me in no doubt that you are a genuine <laughs> Formula One fan, and it's wonderful to hear. I'm interested that you, you're fascinated by qualifying almost more than the race from what you're saying. What is it about quali that you love so much? Well, you know, and, and I don't want to put down the races. I love the race, especially when it's wet. <laughs> but but I think that for me, qualifying, um, you know, you just have to push to the limit uh, of the car, right? There's no fuel savings um, in, in the way it's set up right now where, you know, they, they get that, that final set of softs in the final round, they can push the car to the max. So I just love seeing the drivers on the edge. There's no strategy, just go fast, um, you know, hit your marks and, 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 you know, let's, let's see how it plays out. And, and of course, you know, to me, it, it uh, not just it, not just you know the drivers pushing it to the edge, but you see the true speed of, of the race cars typically, and um, you know, and, and of course, when there's a good fight like like there's this year between Red Bull and Mercedes, then um, you know you see. I think you see a little bit more of that, and or I guess it gives you the anticipation of what you're going to see on Sunday. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, I like the knockout. I like you know who's not going to make it into the top ten. Um, you know, or 15 and, and or 16. And, and so it's, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I, f- I find that, you know, a lot of fun and, and, and great to watch. And, and I, I'll say sometimes I think it's more entertaining than the race. <laughs> it is fun to see them on the limit, isn't it? I, I, I do agree with you. Let's go back to 2003. It's actually um, 18 years ago this week oh that you were doing that swap with Juan Pablo Montoya in the, uh, in that Williams FW24, um, you said at the time, this is probably the coolest thing I've ever done. How do you reflect on it now? Uh, still, no, nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess the only thing that could top it is if I drove a current Formula One car, but uh, I, don't, I don't... Toto, if you're listening. Yeah, no, I don't think that's going to be happening. But um, yeah, you know, I, I of course... I've driven a lot of different types of race cars over the years, but at that time I'd really just been driving stock cars and, you know, on the high bank oval tracks, those cars pull some good load and G's and, 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 you know, you, you get a great sensation of, of, you know, the raw power and, and uh, force that that car can do, but you put that car on a flat road course like Indianapolis and it's going to struggle, right? It's going to struggle in the braking. It's going to struggle in the cornering. So um, you know, to have the absolute comparison on the track on the same day of the two cars uh, just just was mind boggling. You know, just just how different it was, um, you know, the, the, the braking zone. Oh, my God. They're on the front straightaway going into turn one. So there's I think there's six, you know, markers. I couldn't even get to the sixth marker in the in the stock car. And it was how do I get to the one marker? in in the formula one car maybe even past the one marker so you know that's insane that the, the amount of braking the biggest issue i had was that the hans device had just started coming into formula one i had had it maybe a year at that time in, in nascar and and so the hans did you know those cars and cockpits are so tight it wouldn't fit in the cockpit so i needed it for the braking my neck could not hold up so i'm going down to the corner and i'm just like I want to go so far to this corner. I want to stomp on the brakes, but my head is just going to go into the, into the steering wheel. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I was, I was unfortunate that I didn't feel like I get max breaking because my neck just, just could not handle it. I, um, uh, and then the corner and two, you know, just, 
just unbelievable. And actually, the harder and more aggressive you drove the car. See, this, this is the one. Yes, of course, you know, you look at the car, you look at the design of the car, the engineering of the car, and it should do everything right different compared to stock car. The stock car is not the rules limit it from doing all those things. It does an amazing job for what it is. But for a Formula One car, it does everything you wish that it, a car could do. And maybe even then some, <laughs> because I don't even think my mind could get wrapped around that a race car could do that. And so that was, to, and, and if you ever go back on YouTube or whatever, and watch that event, my, the first time I came in, I mean, I was literally like a kid who was six years old at Christmas that just got, you know, the, the greatest bicycle that he, you know, always wanted uh, or had been dreaming of for the last year or two, whatever. I don't know how do you put it in perspective, but I was just screaming because it was just, wow, unbelievable. Matter of fact, I'll show you this. Um, I don't know if you've seen, and I know we're not, we're not um, on camera here for the podcast, but I'll pull this because this is one of my pride and joys right here. So this is actually the steering wheel from, that Williams BMW, um, folks at Williams been, been great friends of ours over the years. And, and so, uh, my, my, my stepfather who kind of, uh, you know, he, he was part of my business for a long, long time. He's retired now, but he, he got me this for a Christmas present. So that's Jeff, uh, is that the actual steering wheel? That is the, well, to, they, this is what they, they said. They said to their knowledge, Jonathan, uh, at Williams, he's, he said, to the best of all of our knowledge of all the uh, uh, records that they keep, that is the actual wheel to the car that that I I raced. So, and we've, and we've swapped some things back and forth over the years. I actually have a, a, a a Williams nose, full nose wing in my office uh, that, that, that sits right next to me in my office that uh, don't tell me the actual nose. (laughs) Now that's not the actual nose (laughs) in the car. Still working on that, Jonathan. <laughs> but um, but no, I uh, no. This is a newer one. It's pretty cool. I, actually, I'll, I will tell you this: when when that nose came in, the, the first thing I did, <clears throat> I took it to our carbon shop at, at Hendrick, and I took it, uh, you know, to our engineers, and I was like, "You guys got to see this," <laughs> and uh, it's just unbelievable the strength that it has. Of course, all the the, the winglets and tips and all that stuff, um, you know, aerodynamically are amazing. But how strong it is for how light it is is just what blows my mind. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. So that obviously that experience was just un, unreal and and unforgettable. And I'm so glad we captured it on uh, on TV. That was that was a neat moment for Speed Channel back then in the U.S. and you know, something that had never been done before. And it was the breaking more than anything else that stood out and and stays in the memory now. Yeah, I mean, some of the corners that, that in the stock car I was lifting um, out of the throttle, you, it was just easy flat, right? Just easy. I mean, it was, and, and I've said this before. I didn't go and compete in that car to try to get maybe that last whatever it was, second, second half, two seconds. Well, I don't know. I don't, you know, I mean, compared to the, the times between me and Juan Pablo that day, we were not that far off. But, you know, I'm sure he wasn't pushing. The car wasn't in full mode. It wasn't a, a competition. Um, so to push it all the way to the limit, to get more out of it, I've been curious to know what, what it would have taken, but to just go out and drive the car way easier than the NASCAR way easier. You know, you got to think about this, right. Uh, and I know there's a lot of formula one fans out there going to hear this and just go, ah, that's crazy. Um, I, I, you know, you're talking about a four speed manual transmission with a clutch and, and, you know, you, you know, the way you have to downshift that car, you go into the braking zones, you're con- you're just slipping, sliding all over the place to try to downshift. Um, you know, you stand on the gas, the car just wants to step sideways and you're just basically sliding this car all around this racetrack. So it's about finesse and, and just keeping it within the limits, which is what every race car is all about. But, but for the Formula One car, it was just, it, you know, it was, it's hard to find the limit. And so, um, you know, it, it, to me at the speed I was going, it was other than my neck, other than holding my head up, the car itself did everything for you really that you want to, right. You, you stomp on the brakes, nothing's locking up. Um, uh, and of course, if I went harder, I'm sure it would, but, and then you just, you know, hit this paddle, bam, 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 
downshift, step on the gas, traction control, launches out of the corner, everything grips the way you know it's supposed to, and then up through the you know the the gears. So to me, it was it was just more about you know trying to to understand where the car's going because things are just happening at such a more rapid pace. So I had that's the part I think that that you have to do is you change your your brain around you know, that, that, Hey, that corner's coming up much faster. So you better start turning in before you get there because it's already there. And so, you know, I don't want to say that to discredit anything. I, 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 I think, you know, Formula One has some, the best drivers in the world, but the two disciplines are completely different. I think it's why you don't see many people go and, and be successful in Formula One after being in a big, heavy stock car. And I don't think you have people from form uh, NASCAR to go over to Formula One, you know, and, and, you know, do that back and forth. It's just, it's just two, two different worlds. Um, but the cars, you know, the car was amazing and, and fun to drive. And, and, uh, I'm sure getting it to the limit is what makes those guys so great. And Jeff, have you ever in a quiet moment imagined yourself uh, now? I know that you're a quality fan on a qualifying lap in that Williams BMW at Monaco. Yeah, Monaco, not so much. Maybe some other tracks where, uh, you know, there's a little more forgiveness. <laughs> but I mean, of, of course, who wouldn't want, you know, if you got the opportunity, who who, who wouldn't want to to do that? Especially when I was in my prime uh, driving. I, you know, at that time, I, I felt like I could drive anything and everything. Um, you know, I had confidence. I was winning races. And, and so I would have loved to have done it if I had gotten the opportunity to do it. Um, in a proper car, um, I, it would have been hard to say no to. That's where I was leading next. Did this test at Indianapolis make you wish that you'd pursued a career in motors, in single seaters? Well, you know, I look at my background and, and my background was not what a Formula One driver's background is uh, and has been for, for long, you know, for many, many years. And what I mean by that is, is, in America, I grew up racing go-karts and quarter midgets on oval tracks, on dirt tracks, going around in circles that, you know, trained me for sprint cars. And then those are going around in, on, on, in oval. And then I got in a midget or a sprint car on pavement. And that, you know, was on oval. I never did any road race. I, I should say I did do the go-kart nationals in the U.S. one year, finished fourth. But there was no shifting. There was no, you know, it was you know just, just and we weren't in the rain or anything like that. So to me, yeah, and I think and really, I don't know if it's changed tremendously right now in the U.S. I think a more kids are growing up that way to, and, and go on to NASCAR because NASCAR is so popular in the U.S. Um, but you get outside of the U.S. and and that's how kids, you know, kids are in go karts on on road courses, and and if they're good at it, right, they go to Italy, they go to Germany, wherever they, you know, Japan, wherever they go. And that's what they, how you become a Formula One driver. So that was never on my radar when I was younger uh, to, to go about it that way. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, it's, it, Formula One, it, it, it's so glamorous. It's, you know, and, and I know, you know, you talk to a lot of people in the industry and it's very cutthroat and, it, you know, and it's, um, it takes some of the fun out of the business side of things, takes a lot of the fun out of it. And, and then if you're not, if your car's off that year, right, you almost don't even have a chance. So that, that parts, those are the downsides. The upsides is your formula one driver. So who wouldn't want to do that? And, and of course I would have loved to have done that, had, had the, the right opportunity come along. If Sir Frank Williams had offered you a ride for 2004, would you have taken it? So, you know, there were there were a lot of discussions that, that that went on that got more serious than I thought that they would after that, because I did have so much fun with it. And and I started thinking, OK, could I train my neck enough to <laughs> to do this? Could I learn the tracks? Could I could I you know, could could I be competitive? And to me, I, I thought even myself, I thought was too steep. Of a, of a climb to accomplish. Uh, you know, I was at a point. So I guess to your point, the opportunity somewhat did come along. Um, I met, I, w- I went to the uh, um, Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona and, and, you know, it was just on vacation, really just walking around, but it happened to be when the Formula One race w- was happening. And, and so we went to the race 
Jimmy Johnson was actually with me. And, and all of a sudden, a couple of people are like, hey, such and such would like to talk to you. And I'm over in the Jaguar, you know, paddock and, you know, hey, tell us about what's going on with your future. We saw you drove the Williams. It probably was more than anything. Did I have any money, <laughs> you know, to, to bring to Formula One? And did I want to be a Formula One driver? Um, I sat down with Frank, you know, after that. I think he came to Indianapolis after that that test for the actual race. And I went and sat down, had had coffee with him, and, and we talked about it. And and I think it might have been a similar kind of probe. So it, it really never got in, it never really got serious went anywhere. And I really at that time didn't expect it to because, you know, I was so established in NASCAR. Now, now 10 years or you know, eight years prior to that, um, had that happened, it would have been different. There was one other conversation I and I, I'm gonna you know, Jacques Villeneuve was, was, was a part of these, uh, talks and conversations when he was, when, when, uh, was it BAR, uh, British American race, when that was all being formed, um, I think they wanted an American driver or, or, or somehow I got on the list and, and we had a lot of discussions, but the discussions were, okay, you, you, you know, you got to test an IndyCar and then you're going to go test, uh, uh, you know, at, at that time, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's, uh, form of three, whatever your form is in Europe. And it was, and, and so I think that was around 1998 or 99. So now I just won my, my third championship. And, and so I, things were hot, you know, for me in NASCAR. And so when I looked at it, I was like, okay, you want me to leave? I'm with the best team winning races, winning championships, and I'm going to have to leave this and I'm going to have to start my career all over basically and go learn how to be a road racer in an open wheel rear engine car. I was like, man, that's fun to talk about, but that, that again, just doesn't seem realistic. So both of those opportunities came my way and they were fun discussions, but, but never went anywhere because, you know, I, I love NASCAR and, and I just didn't see where, that you know me starting over at, at that point was was reality but jeff when you look back at your amazing career amazing nascar career and of course three-time daytona 500 winner there was there was nothing else for you to achieve in nascar and is there a tiny bit of you now that looks back and goes ah kind of wish i'd gone for it <laughs> No, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I look at where my life is right now and, and you know, driving's behind me and, and I'm, I'm all in with NASCAR. I love NASCAR. Uh, I think it's a, just a tremendous series, uh, with, it, you know, with, with, with great talent and, and I get to, you know, be a part of it, uh, be a partner with Rick Hendrick. Um, you know, I, I, I call on the races is fun to me. It's, it's almost like a, the perfect transition to jump out of the car and go into. So, and, and I still get to travel all over the world and, and go to beautiful places and visit formula one races every once in a while. So I don't know. I feel like, you know, everything's meant to, to happen for a reason. And, and my life has turned out amazing. And I don't feel like I left anything out there on the table. Um, but it's fun. I love when I get to spend time with you know people like you, cause it's fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'd have been a world champion. Look, a far, Last question from me on this topic is, did Mr. Ecclestone, Bernie Eccleston, ever get involved in the discussions? Because he was key in bringing Jacques Villeneuve over from IndyCar to Formula One in 1996. He was involved. Yeah, I had discussions with him and they were, they were not long discussions, you know, but but I think there was there was, you know, some talks about um, a big interest in an American driver. Um, there always has been right before this and, and, and still probably today. Um, and, and I totally know why, why it hasn't really worked out. And I, to the reasons why I mentioned earlier, I I think Alexander Rossi, you know, is, is probably the, the, one of the closest that we've, we've seen to really have success. Um, but, but, you know, just again, trying to get that American driver in a car that, that, you know, can compete up front would, would be exciting and fun for me to see. Um, so anyway, so yes, you know, Bernie, um, you know, when I would come to the racetrack, you know, he, he and I would chat real quick about it and, and, you know, he's like, we've got to get you, you know, a ride. We got to, we got to make it happen. What do we got to do? And, and, you know, I would just kind of smile and say, Oh, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, um, Jimmy Johnson has made 
the transition from NASCAR to IndyCar this year. Um, sticking to the road courses, but have you spoken to Jimmy? How's he finding it? I've only spoken to him after all the testing that he had done. I haven't talked to him since he's done the races, but um, you know, he, he, his expectations were it was going to be tough and, and it has been, um, you know, to, I think, you know, he, and of course he got in the F1 car and, and he did really well in the F1 car. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's seeing the differences with IndyCar to Formula One, you know, no power steering, um, you know, the, the, all the cars are, are basically, you know, spec cars and, and, you know, how hard and aggressive you have to push that car and find the limit. And, and that, you know, it's very, very difficult to transition from the style you had in NASCAR. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying, you know, you're in this big, heavy stock car and you're, yeah, you might go road racing, but for the most part, the type of, and a lot of it's in the braking. And, and I learned a little bit of this in the sports cars when it did the Rolex 24 hour is you have to, you have to teach yourself all over again, how, how to brake because in, in a, in a high downforce car like that, you go into the corner or into the braking zone and you want to just get max pressure on this, on the brake pedal as fast as you possibly can, because that's where the most downforce and, and the, the best ability to slow the car down is. And then you taper off of the brake in NASCAR. It's almost opposite. If you go max brake, it, it's going to wheel hop. It's going to lock tires. It's, it's not going to do what you want it to do. So you actually set the car. You do this this one like 50 to 60 percent uh, of, of brake pressure. Car sets. And once it sets, boom, now you go to 100 percent. And and you know, then and then you'll lift off of it. Maybe even trail brake it all the way into the apex. So completely different so i think that's probably the biggest challenge that's some of the conversations that i had with jimmy was that of course he's learning all new tracks so it's it's it, you know what i love about jimmy is the fact that you know he's taking this challenge on um you know he, he's 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 not getting any younger uh but he had this amazing nascar career and and he's like you know what i i've always wanted to, to not just drive but compete in an indy car and and he's out there doing it and and so i give him a lot of credit for that and and i can't wait to see how he progresses because as my teammate you know he he set the standard i mean he was a guy that the way he focused the, the way he pushed the car um you know made you have to push harder and so and he's a quick learner you know he, he really is so with all the data and, and information he has from his teammates and, and what he's gathering you know i'll be surprised um if he doesn't uh if he doesn't, you know, progress throughout the season, or, or I, I'm pretty sure I hear he's going to do next season. But I can tell you this: the NASCAR community is counting on him <laughs> because <laughs> because you know it's not there's not been a guy that's ever done this, or not in many 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 years that I could think of. And so you know, the NASCAR guys, you know, they they want to make sure that they're being represented properly. And after 20 years in a NASCAR, how much of is it down to to muscle memory in a way, just doing what you've always done. And therefore it's so hard to do it the other way. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's about, and I just have so much respect for, for, you know, race car drivers and, and, and not just race car drivers, athletes in whatever their discipline is. And every common denominator, I would say 95% of the time, it's that they got introduced to it at a very young age. They started doing it, you know, every weekend and this became their life. And, and so this natural progression through the different types of cars was, was second nature. Just, you know, it just, just was so easy, not easy, but it just, you know, came to them uh, because of the experience that they had already had. So that's how you become successful in anything. In my opinion, that's my, my um, you know, the way I look at how my racing career progressed, why I was successful is because if you had made as many laps as I had, you know, by the time you were 10 or 15 years old, you, I promise you, you would have been really, really damn good at driving a race car. And, and so, you know, I just had so many laps and, and so, but all those laps were on ovals. So I excelled at ovals, um, and that type of racing. And, and, and that's a totally different discipline too, you know, on an oval, the amount, the way you carry speed in, in, and momentum through the corner on this big, long corner, is t and, and then the way you break it down totally different than than any 
road course that I've ever been on. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I really do think it's these days, especially it, it's, it's harder than it's ever been to transit transition over from one type of car, or one discipline to another. But equally, Jeff, had you started, um, on road courses in karting and worked your way through a single seater ladder, I'm sure there's no one doubting that you could have won many races in Formula One equally had Lewis Hamilton taken the course that you'd taken early in life, do you think Lewis could have succeeded in NASCAR? And you, you just nailed it. A hundred percent. That's what I'm saying is that, you know, I, I have enough confidence in my, in my abilities uh, that I feel like had I taken that path, I, I could have been successful. And same for Lewis Hamilton. Um, you know, when you have that ability and that talent to, to you know, find the limit of the car and, 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 you know, have the confidence and drive and, and desire to push yourself and, you know, and, and I mean, in every aspect, mentally, physically, it, you know, and be completely dedicated to it. You're going to be successful in, in that discipline for sure. And can we talk a little bit more about Lewis? Because I know you've done a few things with him, uh, over the last few years, he came to your final well, what we thought at the time was your final NASCAR race. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be. <laughs> Actually, Jeff, do you know, I was there at Homestead uh, as well in 2015, but it was, a, it was a wonderful coincidence that I was there to see your last race because I was actually Oh, come on, be, be honest. You were stalking <laughs> Lewis and you're like, what is he doing going to a NASCAR race? And you had, you had to get the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> and whilst there, I was also interviewing Gene Haas, who was oh. coming into Formula One, of course, in 2016. But, but I mean, so you and Lewis go back a bit. Um, how, how did you get to know him? You know... I'm trying to think of, of how our paths cross. I mean, I, you know, I've seen him in New York a few times and, and, um, somehow I got his email. Either he reached out to me, or I reached out to him. Can't, I, I don't remember exactly how it all started, but we were just exchanging, you know, emails going back and forth. And, and, um, I sent, you know, an invitation to, to him and to say, Hey, um, you know, my final race is, is coming. You need, we, I think we had talked about trying to get him to a NASCAR race. So I said, Hey, if, if you're going to come to one, this might be a pretty good one. Cause, cause you know, I, my final race, I, I, I had a lot of friends and, and family and, and we made sure that it was set up right. And, and it was, uh, it was a fun and entertaining weekend. And, you know, when he accepted the invitation, I, I was, I was pretty shocked, but uh, I thought it was actually really cool. And, and it said a lot about, about Lewis one, he likes the U.S. <laughs> Two, uh, he likes Miami. <laughs> Three is you know he wanted to uh, to come to a NASCAR race and and um, you know to have him there was it, so you know I, I look at this and it, on my final race Richard Petty, Mario Andretti, and Lewis Hamilton were there for that that race. I'm not saying they were all there for me, but they were there in that race, and that was. Uh, that was just so special. What a great memory for me to, to close out my career. Uh, we'll, we'll say it was that day, not, not those other eight races that I did yeah. <laughs> the next year. Yeah. And, and you've also come into contact with, I mean, several Formula One drivers, but I've, I've been watching uh, an interview you did with Fernando Alonso, for example. Um, do you see many similarities between yourself and these champions of Formula One? I mean, I guess, you know, when, when you excel and, and, and reach the, the, the highest level of, of a championship, um, there's definitely something that, that you, uh, you have in common with, with those other champions. Uh, but, but, you know, again, it's to, to get there in Formula One so much different than, than, than to get there in NASCAR. But I, I still think it takes the same amount of effort and, and – you know, same, same type of, of personality, but most important takes the team around you, right. To, to create that success. And, and from what I could tell from both Lewis and Fernando, they, they recognize that they're very appreciative of getting an opportunity to show their talents, um, and, and being able to do that because of the, the, the people that put that race car on the track or the team that called the strategy, you know, that, that, that got them through that season. And, 
and um, and and they played their part. And that's that's what I would say I, I, I have in common with those guys. What is the hardest thing about being a serial winner in any category? But I mean, you know, you, you won what, 93 races, 81 poles, 797 consecutive races. Well, it's, a pheno- it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, I never looked at myself as a tough Iron Man, uh, but I do hold that record, so I'll take. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember where where we were going with that. What, what was the question? Well, just, just, ha- but being a serial winner. Although, oh yeah, in well, anything, gonna... how hard is it mentally and physically? Well, stay up there because Hamilton and, you know, Alonso's now done 300 and something Grand Prix. Hamilton's done 270. You had that amazing run of consecutive races. Just how tough is it mentally and physically? Yeah, I mean, I think that is, well, I've met plenty of drivers that, you know, said, man, if I could just get there, if I could just get that, that, that ride and that good equipment, then, you know, I could show what I can do. And so some people would say that's the hardest thing. Then others who have had the opportunity to get behind the wheel of great race car would say, no, the hardest thing is to, to, to stay on top once you're there or to, to maximize and keep it going. Um, and, and sometimes you're at the mercy of, of the people, of the equipment, of the team, you know, and then sometimes you get distracted, right? So I would say, yeah, the, the hardest thing for me, I had my career was 23 years. And when you start having a lot of success, all of a sudden, now the marketing group wants to to use you more for sponsorship opportunities. The fans, you know, are are more uh, wanting some of your time. There's more media interviews. Um, there's there's more expectations, and and so it that becomes very difficult to manage and handle all those things. And it probably took after I won like my my third championship for me to have. And maybe even the fourth. I don't know. I didn't win another one after the fourth, so maybe I didn't do it right then. But to to get this balance of of confidence, um, humility, and and work ethic, and and also structure to my 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 schedule, you know, my routine to be able to manage it properly. And, and listen, you always can do it better. But but I, I feel like you know the first championship, I was just overwhelmed with it. Probably should have won the second year in 96, but we came up short. Our teammate won it that year. And then we we clicked off the next two. And and at that time, you know, I I, I will say I felt like, man, everything right now is just as, as good as it can be. But we also won 13 races in the championship in 98. And it's like in NASCAR, that, that that's unheard of still is today. And so you talk about trying to maintain that. And and I tried. And it was very, very difficult. Rules change, cars change, team members, you know, get taken away from me because they want it, you know, somebody else offers them a job. Uh, very, very difficult to do. But it's not it's not just on the driver. Um, you know, it, it's it's the whole group. Uh, and I would say the toughest years I had as an individual, as, as the driver, was, um, you know, when Jimmy Johnson came along and, and he, he started, you know, outrunning us every weekend and winning the championships. That's when I had to look within myself and go, okay, we, sh- we should have the same equipment here. I believe we do. And, and I still have confidence in what I'm doing. So what can I work harder at? What is he doing that I'm not doing? And he was, he, he, he was very focused in, in, in very, um, you know, every area that he could learn and, and improve in, he, he was doing. It. So that's what I started doing. And, and fortunately the success did come back. I, Came close to a couple more championships, didn't quite close it out, but I uh, I felt like I was I was doing everything I possibly could to to compete at the highest level and was pushing myself more mentally, physically. The mental part for me is 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 I think that's that's one of just the you know everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and the mental part has has always been one that that has worked in my favor. I I, I never felt like I had to go do all kinds of mental training. Um, you know, I, I'm just the type of person where you put me in at that desk where I've got to look at data or I've got to spend time with the team getting prepped for a race. And, and man, I'm there, you, you know, there, there's just, it just boom, it all sinks in. 
and then I get to the racetrack and I get in the race car and I'm, I'm just very disciplined and focused and, 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 you know, like nothing else comes into my mind. So I've never had to say, Ooh, I need to hire somebody to, to teach my brain how to do, to, to block out distractions or to do this or to do that. Uh, it's been something that luckily has come naturally. And I think it's, it, I look at my parents and I think, you know, that that's where that came from. And did it always remain civil between you and Jimmy Johnson? I think for the most part, um, maybe there was probably an, a rivalry there that, that, you know, we, we kept it civil because we were teammates, you know, and, and we came in as friends. I mean, you know, I was a huge, uh, supporter of getting Jimmy there, starting a fourth team at Hendrick. And of course I was also, you know, a, a, an equity owner in that opportunity, but Jimmy and I became, you know, great friends and, and traveled all over. Like I said, he was with me. Um, you know, when we went to that Barcelona race, we, we, we went, uh, with a group of friends. So, um, you know, I think, I think later, I think when, when he started having tremendous amount of success, I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Okay. Brought, brought you over here. I wanted to see win some championships, but I, I know you're going to go win five in a row and then go win seven. Now, hang on. <laughs> so, That's greedy. Yeah. So, so along, you know, at some of those times I was, you know, I got to this point where I was like, okay, you know, I, I want to, do everything I can as driver, what I have to do, you know, for our team to, to, to make us better. I want to go, you know, compete with, with Jimmy Johnson. And I'd say, I think it was 07. I can't remember the exact year, maybe 07. I felt like we'd finally had, you know, we, we were there and, and we were actually ahead of him in the, in the points at the end of the season. And then he just went on this crazy tear and won like, you know, I don't know, three, four races in a row or something. And, and, you know, he, he squeezed out another championship. We came up short, came, uh, came in second. So, you know, I'd say at, at that time, yeah, I was, I, you know, I, I didn't have resentment. I just, I just wanted to, to get my fair share of the wins and, and, and maybe get one more championship. And so, I had to, to go through him to, to try to do that. And so there were times where, you know, we, we were competing and it, it, you know, got fierce and, and, you know, I was racing him harder than I was racing anybody else because I felt like, well, that's the guy I got to beat today. And I think that, you know, that, that can put a strain on, on a friendship. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like we, we handled it well. We're still friends today. And, and, uh, you know, I think it went as well as it could possibly go in that kind of scenario and being friends at the same time. The reason I asked that was because, of course, Hamilton and Nico Rosberg back in 2016, when Rosberg won the championship, that that wasn't always plain sailing between the two of them. And Lewis has said since then that I don't think he'd let another teammate relationship deteriorate in the way that that one did mm. because of all the negative energy and and then yeah. putting it in the context of today i don't think he'll let his relationship with max verstappen although they're different teams yeah. deteriorate as well because i think lewis saw the negativity and hates the negativity yeah that's so what i love about lewis you know is is how he, he views the world relationships you know people and 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 you know just has this 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 peace um, within a very volatile, uh, environment, but, um, I, I never had, you know, a relationship like that with any of my teammates. Um, well, I take it back maybe one. Uh, <laughs> so when I first came to Hendrick Motorsports, um, Ricky Rudd was, was really the guy dominating the, the, for, for the organization. And he came close to winning a championship. I think the year before I got there, maybe the year I got there, either 92, 93, something like that. And, and so when I came along, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, Ricky felt like, hey, third, adding a third team, this young driver, this is a distraction and taken away from my chances or our chances as a team to win a championship. And so he never really welcomed me in. He, you know, he, he and I, you know, just had kind of some, we just didn't really communicate a whole lot. And then he left Hendrick and started his own team. We actually, you know, he wrecked me one time and and we we had it out in the ambulance you know he's not a guy you want to fight because he's pretty, pretty pretty good fighter so but we had some some intense words so i knew right then you know ricky 
never, never, you know, liked me and, and we never really got along. But other than that, I would say that, that I never had that even with Jimmy. I mean, in, in all those moments, you know, he and I would have a way to either have a beer after or, you know, laugh about it or, or, you know, just go to the next race and just understand, Hey, this is, this is what's happening right now. He's the guy that we've got to be. Um, he's a great guy. So makes it, you know, hard to dislike him and, or to get even mad at him. We might have had a few moments on, on the track where, you know, I want to beat him really bad and, and it did or didn't happen. But, but, you know, that never transferred over to the, the relationship breaking down, um, into, uh, you know, a situation like what you're talking about with Lewis and, and Nico. Who's the best driver you ever raced? Well, be, I think, you know, because Jimmy was in the same equipment as me and, and, you know, like I, you got to understand, you know, throughout my whole career, there was really, I didn't think there was anybody that, that I couldn't be yeah, until Jimmy Johnson, you know, came on. Yeah. There might be a year where Mark Martin was really strong or Dale Earnhardt senior, um, um, Dale Jarrett, some, some guys, you know, Rusty Wallace, think, things like that. But uh, Tony Stewart, I, you know, when I just look at overall, one of the, one of the just most pure talents, I would say Tony Stewart, you know, he can get in anything. He drove an Indy car, NASCAR, sprint cars. Um, he also did the swap with Lewis in, in the F1 car. Um, he, he's one of the, one, one of the, you know, just incredible talents. Jimmy, you know, I, uh, I did a few things with him, like at the um, race of champions where he was my teammate and he could get out there and slide the car sideways from his, his um, um, off-road experience uh, with some of the best of them. I mean, he was up against some, some amazing rally drivers and, and we actually won that, that event uh, the first year that we did it, which I think might still be the only time the Americans won that event. So Jimmy, Jimmy's amazing talent. He, he really is. And certainly in, in a stock car, uh, he, he's probably the best I ever raced against in NASCAR. Okay. And can I talk to you a little bit about Hendrick now? Um, you haven't been to Mercedes. Toto, if you're listening, <laughs> when you're next in the UK, I'm sure you'll be welcome there. But, but can I ask you about Hendricks in terms of they're serial winners. You guys are serial winners. What is it about that team? And can you just tell us a little bit about the scale of it so that people listening to this might be able to compare it to Formula One? I mean, I would say, you know, there, there are uh, a few teams within NASCAR that, that you know, are doing things at, at, at a very high level, um, you know, that you can maybe compare to Formula One uh, organization or, or factory um you know hendrick we build all of our own engines with support from chevrolet um we you know, build all of our own chassis we, we we basically do everything that that a formula one team would do we just are under different rules or restrictions and budgets you know we we don't we don't we don't spend as much but but within within nascar um you know rick hendrick is is, is created really a dynasty and in, in an organization that that you know is known to hire the best of the best and and do everything at, at the highest level we'll say the last three or four years have been rough it's been it's been you know not what we're used to but this year uh hendrix really turned things around we you know recently had the one two three four finish which had you know never been done in the history of hendrick um and I think maybe only one or two other times. And, uh, and then, you know, just won the 269th, uh, race of the organization's, uh, uh, history, which just became the all time winningest organization in NASCAR. So yeah, it's hard to describe what, what our campus, I call we call it a campus. We have, you know, multiple buildings on, on the campus where, um, all four of our teams are, are located and, and, you know, everything that we do and, and rick hendrick's a car nut so he he you know he has a, a car collection that that he's uh, very proud of probably one of the best corvette collections in in the world and then you know just this this you know nascar team but uh, we're close to 600 employees uh and you know from from marketing to pr sponsorship and in in the building of of the engines in the cars and then 
prepping these cars to go to the race team, uh, uh to the racetrack, uh, 38 weeks out of the year. So it's, um, it's a very special place. It's the only place I ever drove. And now I get to be a part of it, you know, on the, on the business and ownership side. How important is continuity, particularly with the engineers in NASCAR? Because to go back to, to Mercedes and even BAR that we were talking about earlier, um, there are some of the engineers there who have been there since the start of BAR and they're still there today. They're in uh, very senior positions now and they love it and they stay is that the same at Hendrick? It is. Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, you know, Rick looks at his car business, you know, he's a car, uh, owns car dealerships and transfers a lot of that over to racing. And, and he'll, he'll tell you anytime you were, were to talk to him, it's all about the people. And, and when he finds good people, you know, he, he, he wants to move them up in the organization o- over time. And, and when you have experience and talent and, and also, um, you know, this, as you mentioned, continuity within the organization, then there's been people that are there for, for many years. Matter of fact, Rick has a tradition in his dealership that he's brought over to Hendrick Motorsports, where if you've worked at Hendrick Motorsports for uh, 20 years or more, then you get a, uh, a watch, you get a special Rolex watch that he hands out. And, I mean, you know, every year there's probably eight to 10 people that are getting those watches. So it just goes to show you, you know, the loyalty that people have to Hendrick Motorsports, what a great place it is to work. And, and, you know, Rick, you know, he, he loves people that, that, you know, have been there and contributed for, for years and he loves to reward them for that. And how big is the team in terms of number of people? Well, so like I said, the organization, the whole campus is close to 600 people. Um, and, and then, you know, you'll break down, we're under, um, um, a roster, uh, limit right now, as you go to the racetrack, that's, I think we have like 14 or 15 people per team that can, can go to the racetrack, but each, each team, you're probably looking at, uh, you know, probably you know, 50, 50 people that you know, right now we're, we, we've actually changed about four or five years ago where it used to be separate buildings, separate teams. Now everything's, um, the, you know, cars and certain aspects are still being built in other parts of, of, of uh, campus, but all of the engineers, the crew chiefs, um, um, the cars where they're being set up, the final prep and all those things um, to get ready to go to the track are all happening in one building all together. And, and so it's really like one organization now where in, 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 so all the information, all the data, everything's being shared, uh, with all four of these cars. And, and this year it, 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 it's very clear. It's evident because all four cars not only have won this year, um, and that means that they'll all four be in the playoffs later this year, but they're, they're all four, you know, very, very competitive among one another and, and, and among the whole, whole, uh, field. Ah, it's fantastic. Well, Jeff, just to end, let's bring it back to Formula One. Um, 2021, we're speaking. I'm in Baku, Azerbaijan, ahead of this weekend's Grand Prix. Hey, listen, normally normally, I would say that I'm jealous of whatever amazing city that you're going. You just came from Monaco. And I would say, you know, oh, gosh, you know, I, that, you're so lucky. I'm, I'm going to go to... Uh, I, I won't say, but, <laughs> but this weekend, <laughs> but this weekend I, I get to, to match you cause I get to go to Sonoma, um, and out to the wine country, which is home for me because I'm from that area, but beautiful part of the United States that we love racing in and we get to do some road racing through wine country. So I'm, I'm not as jealous that you're in Baku. Right <laughs> and of course, Sonoma is one of the two uh, road courses where Juan Pablo Montoya won in nascar he did he um, did yeah yeah it's, I, it's an odd thing say that again I was gonna, it's an odd thing um jeff just you grew up in california as a european looking from the outside in that's that's road course that that's road racing territory it's it's did you ever as a kid make the trip down from san francisco to to long beach to watch the grand prix for example i know it's so crazy to me that all the racing that I did, um, I never even went, it's called Sears Point, but Sonoma Raceway now. 
I never even went there, maybe drove by it a bunch of times. I don't ever remember stepping foot on, on the property. Um, the, the amount of road racing that I did was very minimal in a go-kart. So, you know, there's a few tracks around um, that area of California, but not, I didn't go to Sonoma that we race go-karts in, but, but I bet I, I bet I did eight to 10 road racing go-kart events in, in my whole career at that point, you know, before I went and started racing uh, sprint cars. Um, so it was just really all about ovals and dirt racing. And, and so I went to, I think my first IndyCar race may have been Laguna Seca. I went to Laguna Seca, friend of a friend who, who we were racing with, was racing what they were you know, called Super Vs, what are now Indy Lights at the time. And so we just kind of went there to watch them, and it happened to be the IndyCar race. And so, of course, you know, watch watch IndyCars. And, and, I, and I loved it. You know, I got, I got to see, um, you know, some of my heroes growing up. But see, even when I say my heroes, it was Indianapolis. It was the Indy 500 that, that I was more focused on, again, being an oval. And so AJ Ford and Rick Mears and, and those types of guys. When I got to Laguna Seca, you know, it was all the, it was it was all road racing. So I was like, "Hey, a beautiful track, cool." But yeah, I'm an oval guy. That's just the way I thought of it. So I've yeah. been to Long Beach. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've been to several uh, IndyCar races and things, and I, and I love them as a spectator. But I don't know. It, it wasn't ever anything that I yearned for. I was really more yearning for the oval experience. Ah, it's fascinating. Well, I have a great time over there. Thank um, you. Who who do you fancy? This is it's going to be odd because this is going to come out after the race, so be careful what you say now. But okay. who do you fancy coming into this one? Who do you think is going to win this weekend? Ooh, Are you a Max Verstappen fan? I, I do like Max, but of course I'm uh, <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm you know loyal to to my boy Lewis, and I just I think he's phenomenal. What I'll tell you first, what I'll, I'll start out with saying is is they've been asking for a fight and and I think we finally have one. Um I thought when we started the season that it looked like Red Bull really, you know, found something big and then they just you know weren't com- they, they weren't able to pull it off and all of a sudden Mercedes started clicking off these wins and Lewis in particular and I was like, "Wow, maybe we don't have a fight on, on our hands." And and then of course what happened in Monaco, I mean, you know, who'd have thought one race could change you know, the, the, the way the championship looks. So I would imagine that's got to give, um, you know, Max a, a, a lot of confidence right now. So I don't know. I still think Mercedes has the upper hand. Um, you know, you get away from, from Monaco, you, you know, that's such a, a unique course and, and track. And, and now you start getting into the, you know, the efficiency of the car and the high speed um, straights and corners and, and things like that. But Baku's got some pretty technical stuff too. So, it's going to be close. It's hard, hard to say. I, you know, I, I all I wish for here's what I wish for, and my family, by the way, is going to disown me for saying this because my wife is Belgian, and and their our home is very close to Holland, uh, and so they're big Max Verstappen fans. I just I would like to see this thing come down to the two of them final race, a real battle, and. Of course, I'd like to see Lewis and Mercedes win it at the end. But but I I just, you know, I think we all want to see uh, anybody that follows Formula One would like to see that because it just it just hasn't happened. You know, normally it's it's, you know, you're down at the final race and, and you've got, you know, one driver that has a, a pretty good lead and, and just protects and has a smooth race. And, and you know, and, and it's over. It hasn't been a real fight all the way to the end. Well, here, here. I think there's no one listening to this who wouldn't agree with you. Um, and Jeff, are we going to see you at Cota later in the year, or maybe Miami? Well, you know, now now that re- COVID restrictions are, are lifting, I'm fully vaccinated, so uh, you know, I plan on doing some more traveling. So I would love to. I don't have plans to right now. Um, you know, one of the reasons I was going uh, to to those races was through Exalta. Uh, who, who's also one of the sponsors uh, at Mercedes. So, so depending on if that's one of the races that they um, are, are supporting and, and want to uh, bring me there for that, that could, could dictate what happens there. I got to look at the NASCAR schedule. I don't actually know right now 
what's on the NASCAR schedule for that same weekend. But uh, if I can, if I can make it there, absolutely, uh, I would, I would love to go. It's uh, we were just there with NASCAR. It's a, it's a great course, and um, and and I've been to it a couple times for Formula One. And if you don't make it to Cota, what about Miami in twenty twenty two? And how big a deal is that on your side of the pond? Um, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, I, I, is it going to move the needle the way formula one wants it to? I, I, I'm not sure. I think that it's a great market for formula one and hopefully, you know, that they, they, they can design a course that, um, that that's exciting and fun, you know, for the drivers as well as for the spectators. Um, I would love to go. Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I have a friend that lives in Miami who recently has become over the last couple of years because of his teenage son has become a big Formula One uh, follower and fan. So I know he's excited, uh, and so hopefully together we can we can go to that event because uh, yeah, I mean if there's a new event that that's coming in like that, uh, I'd love to be a part of it. Like I like I said, I would like to go there as a fan, but also to learn. You know, is if there's something that uh, they're doing for that event. Uh, NASCAR is looking at doing some some street courses. So, you know, I don't know if that's in the cards for Miami or if that would be some other place. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's it's, it's uh, always great to see how those events are done. I've been to Singapore and, and you know, some other F1 races. And, and it's amazing, you know, to, to see a, a city taken over like that for such a big event. And, and I think Miami's not in the city, it's outside the city, but I think it'll I think it'll go over well. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic to speak to you. It really has. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. This is unique and different for me. I I, I don't get to uh, talk this much F1 and unless it's uh, you know, the guy that used to work for me, John Edwards, uh, that did my PR for many years. He and I both share the Formula One passion. We actually would um, do a qualifying lineup every every weekend and have a little friendly competition. So uh, other than that, you're, you're it. So thank you. Wasn't that great? I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jeff as much as I did. And I found myself agreeing with so much of what he said. He has that wonderful blend of passion and experience, and he makes a lot of very good points. There were many highlights for me. I loved his description of that Williams test in 2003. His sheer enthusiasm for the FW24 and its capabilities is infectious. And you just know that he'd have been quick had he made the switch to F1 on a permanent basis, be it with Williams in 2004 or with BAR and Jacques Villeneuve a few years earlier. What a pity we never got to witness that. I also found Jeff's passion for qualifying interesting. He enjoys seeing the cars and drivers flat out and on the limit for one lap, when speed is the only thing that matters and drivers aren't worrying about strategy and other compromises in races. I think it's worth bearing in mind what Jeff has to say on this while F1 thinks about its race weekend format going forward. Jeff, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Many thanks for your time and I hope to see you at a Grand Prix soon. Oh, and if you're listening, Toto, don't forget that Jeff would love to come and visit the factory in Brackley one day. Before we move on, please remember to send in any stories or chance meetings or thoughts that you have on Jeff. He oozes class, doesn't he? And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Send them to me at TomClarksonF1 or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Roberto Moreno after last week's show. And you've been busy. The virtual mailbag is bursting at the seams. His F1 struggles and his brief moment in the sun with Benetton really struck a chord with a lot of people. Tony Dezino got in touch with this. A simply astonishing podcast, he says. I'd always admired Roberto's super sub days in Indy in the late 90s, but it was just remarkable to hear his emotions when telling his F1 stories in such great detail. There were a lot of really powerful lines, weren't there, Tony? You have to love Roberto's passion. And Robert Moss had this to say. I've been listening to your chat with Papa Moreno. I laughed, I cried, I was aghast, I was happy, I was sad. Just wow. Certainly one of your best. Thanks. Well, thanks to you, Robert, for that note. And I was all of those things too. I remember being emotionally drained by the time we'd finished the interview. 
And how about this from Julien? What an epic episode, he says. I love Roberto and his stories. He's one of the unsung heroes of Formula One, and he would have deserved some real success in good teams. But qualifying that Andrea Moda shitbox in Monaco makes him a true legend of Formula One. (laughs) Well, Julian, I agree. It was indeed a heroic performance. And we're going to leave it there, although we got literally hundreds of messages about that episode with Roberto. Thanks for your feedback. And even if I haven't read out your message, please know that I have read it. I read each and every one of them. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jeff and remember to send in your thoughts and stories on him. And as ever, I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. So see you then. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.